to Mark, Mark chapter 1, and just a very short passage, but a very action-filled one, as you are about to see this morning. Mark 1, 9 to 13. New Testament, Matthew, Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Won't you uh, pray with me as we begin? Lord, you are, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of lords, you are King of kings, and I pray this morning and we would see you in your glory and see you in your kingship, perhaps in a way that is new, that is fresh. Perhaps the old will become new and our hearts revived, but our hearts bended in humble adoration before you, King of kings, Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, there's a title for you, The Coronation, The Coronation, Mark 1, 9 to 13. Do you know what a coronation is? Do you know what that is? Just in case you're not sure, give you a little definition. A coronation is the ceremony of crowning a sovereign or a sovereign's consort. And you will know, I am sure that on the 6th of May, 2023, this man, Charles, will be crowned as King of England. And I've discovered that it's a, the monarchy in Australia is a fairly contentious issue. Have you noticed that? Uh, how many of you are in favor of a republic here in Australia? Mm, there is a few of you. We won't, we won't go down there. Hmm? Is, it, is that for Tasmania? Are they, they going to become a republic? Oh, okay. <laughs> the reason why it's contentious is because uh, King Charles will not just become King of England, but he'll become King of Australia because we are part of the Commonwealth. But on the 6th of May, 2023, he'll be formally crowned as King of England, and they will put a crown of jewels upon his head. Mark 1, 9 to 13 is God the Father's public coronation of Jesus, which is tightly squeezed into a theological unit. But everything that you might expect from a pompous earthly coronation, as we will see on the 6th of May, it is all turned upside down. And this coronation that you are about to see this morning of Jesus has just a hint 
of scandal, but I hope there will be more than a hint of joy as we are called to bow down before this king. And that really is Mark's purpose and intention, that we might come and bow down before Jesus, that we will give Jesus the homage, the honor, the respect, and the adoration that this king deserves. And you might be here this morning, someone that has never bowed the knee to King Jesus. And my prayer is that you will do that today. Got a number of headings for you, so let's head straight into them. Here is the first one, the coronation of the baptizer, the coronation of the baptizer. But just backing up into the context, notice chapter 1, verse 8 of Mark, I baptize you with water, John says, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some weird and wonderful interpretations of what that means today, but this particular statement is drenched in the Old Testament passage of Ezekiel 36. And I want to show it to you. In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26, this is God speaking to his people in exile. He says, I, this is God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36 is God speaking, and what Mark is telling us is that Jesus Christ is the human heart cleaner. Jesus Christ is the human heart cleaner cleanser. Jesus Christ is the new human heart giver. Jesus Christ is the one that will break the idolatry of the human heart. It is Christ who gives God's Spirit to His people. And if Jesus is the powerful Spirit giver who changes the hearts of people, then there should be no doubt to any one of us here this morning who Jesus is. Every heart needs changing. Your heart needs changing. And only Jesus can change you by the Spirit that He gives. But the coronation has a whiff or a scent of scandal. And to see it, we've got to pick it up as you read verse 8 going straight into verse 9. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, you remember the words of Nathanael, don't you, in John 1, 46, when Nathanael was told that the Messiah was here and he was from Nazareth. Do you remember his words? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a little bit like saying that if you live in the West, it's like saying, can anything good come from Sydney? Similar sort of thing. Let me show you why Nazareth in Galilee is like Sydney to Western Australians. Take a look at this. Back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 9, it says King Solomon gave 20 towns where? In Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and juniper and gold that he wanted. 
But when Hiram went to Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. Do you know why Nazareth is like Sydney? Because the, because the towns that King Solomon gave to, to, to Hiram were not what he wanted. In Solomon's wisdom, he gave 20 of the worst towns in Israel. He gave to Hiram a non-Jew, and as a result, those towns like Galilee were mostly populated by Gentiles. You see, the Jews would have expected the king to come from a city like Hebron, or maybe from Bethany, or maybe from Jerusalem, but not a low-grade, genteely like Nazareth. And so the scent of scandal begins. Thirdly, the coronation of baptism. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Scandalously, the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit is baptized by John in water. And you remember, as you go back into, John, uh, into Mark 1 verse 4, that baptism of John was a baptism of what? Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus undergoes a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the question obviously is asked, how can the one who does not need to be forgiven go through a baptism of forgiveness? And we know too, don't we, that even John himself was a little bit confused about this whole story. Do you remember these words of John in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14? But, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But what we've got to realize this morning is the one who will baptize you in the Spirit must first be baptized in your sin. The one who will baptize you in the Spirit is the one who must be baptized in your sin. The only way for Jesus to clean your heart, cleanse your heart, break your heart, break the idolatry of your heart is for Him to bear the punishment of your unclean, idolatrous heart. See, this coronation was a deluge of water to prepare for the day when Christ would wear a crown of thorns on his head, not a crown of jewels. Mark 15 tells us, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. See, before Jesus can wash your heart clean, he must become dirty for you. As Paul says for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, Jesus became sin for us. You see, it is this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus goes through that prepares us for the baptism of sin at the cross that Jesus would endure for us. 
But the coronation continues by the Spirit. By the Spirit. So into verse 10, just then as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, literally ripped open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Those that are attentive to the Old Testament scriptures would suddenly have scriptures like this coming to mind. When King Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him powerfully and he burned with anger. Or 1 Samuel 16, 13, when Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that was David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that time on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. You see, in the Old Testament, the kings like Saul and David and Solomon, they were powerfully anointed by the Spirit in order to defeat God's enemies or to defeat the enemies of God's people. The Spirit was given for power to rescue God's people from their foes. As the Spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove, it's this King Jesus is powerfully anointed to defeat our enemies. Our enemies are much bigger than the Philistines. Our enemies are much bigger than the Romans. Jesus is powerfully anointed by the Spirit to defeat the enemies of the devil, of sin, of death, and judgment. I ask you this morning, do you realize that you have some enemies? Do you realize that? I want to say that you've got some big enemies. Now, some of you might be tempted to think, hmm, I, I, I wonder which people here don't like me. Or maybe, oh, I wonder which people would want to take me out if they had half a chance. And I want to tell you that your enemies are bent on taking you out. The devil wants to destroy you and take you to hell with him. Sin wants to condemn you. Death wants you dead. Here Jesus is powerfully anointed by the Spirit to be the one who would defeat your deadly enemies by dying in your place and then rising in victory from the dead. Do you remember these words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Oh, where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He has given us what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. You realize that Jesus Christ was anointed by the Spirit in power to go and smash the enemies of the devil, sin, death, and judgment by submitting to their power. And just look at verse 10 again. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he sees heaven being torn open. He sees heaven being ripped open. 
You have to understand this morning that the devil, sin, death, and judgment, that will keep you from the presence of God. You have to understand you're not big enough, strong enough, not good-looking enough, clever enough to get after your enemies in order to get to the presence of God. This Jesus is crowned by the Spirit to defeat your enemies and rip open the presence of God for you. Here's how the psalmist put it in Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. It's only because of Jesus that we can dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. It's only because Jesus defeated our enemies that we will for all eternity gaze upon the glory of the Lord. You realize that Jesus has ripped open the presence of God for us. Jesus has gone to prepare a place in the Father's house for us. But the coronation continues by the Father, by the Father. Look at verse 11, if you've got your Bible. And then a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. If you're going to feel the force of this voice of the Father, I want to add a little word by way of emphasis. And a voice came from heaven. You are my divine son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit-filled, suffering Messiah is none other than the beloved, eternal, divine son of God. And I want to show you a translation of this verse in John 1 Verse 18, New American Standard. It's incredible. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, He has explained Him. Coming up out of the water, this is my beloved divine Son. What is Mark telling us? What is Mark telling us? Mark is telling us that in the Father giving His Son for us, in, in, in the Father giving the Son in order to rescue us from our enemies, the Father is giving that which is most precious to Him. The Father's giving His beloved for us, giving us beloved for you, the one whom He eternally loves the one whom the Father loves more than anybody else, that which most precious, most close to his heart, that one he gives for us. Perhaps read it like this in Romans 5 again. My emphasis, you'll see it in the brackets. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone would even dare to die, but, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ, the beloved Son of God, died 
You see, the love of the Father for us is seen against the backdrop of the beloved that He gave for us. The beloved was given for you. The, 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 the precious one, the glorious one, the eternal one, the one in the bosom of the Father, the one... <laughs> there the are no words. Let me put it this way for you. The Father didn't give a created being for you. The Father didn't give you a created angel for you. He didn't give some created spiritual being for you. That which is dearest to his heart, he gave for you, his son. And he didn't give, he didn't give that which was most precious. He didn't give it for good people. He didn't give him for good people. He didn't give him for righteous people. He didn't give him for people who are trying to do their best and okay people and not so bad people. He gave people for sinners like you and me. For people who do not deserve to be saved. He gave his beloved son for helpless, hapless, hopeless, dead sinners who every inclination of their heart is to sin against God. Let me show you Romans 5.10 again. My emphasis in brackets. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his beloved son. The beloved son was given for you an enemy of God. An enemy of God. How loved are we by the Father? How loved are we? But the coronation continues because the devil steps in. The coronation by the devil, verse 12, and at once, and you see how these flow one quickly into another, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. But in fact, it's important to notice it's not the devil driving the devil, uh, it's not the devil driving Jesus into the wilderness, it's who? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. The word, the Greek word is thrust, thrust Jesus into the wilderness. The baptized, Spirit-anointed, beloved Son of God is now driven into the wilderness in order to be maliciously tempted by Satan. If there is one thing that should stand out for us among the kings in the Old Testament is that they were miserable failures who could never fully rescue God's people from their enemies. As we have this reflection on the Spirit-anointed Saul, listen to these tragic words in 1 Chronicles 10.13. The Spirit-anointed Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. How about these tragic words about King David? For David, the spirit-anointed king, had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except, except in the case of Uriah 
the Hittite. And then these tragic words of King Solomon, the greatest king of Israel, the one whom asked for wisdom when the Lord appeared to him, the one who built the temple of the Lord. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as, his, as David, his father, had done. Perhaps, perhaps this Jesus, perhaps this king, perhaps this spirit-anointed king, perhaps this, even this beloved son, maybe he's going to fail. Maybe he's going to slip up. Maybe he's going to mess up just once, just even once. You see Mark's point? The Spirit drives Jesus into the desert to experience the full throttle of the devil's temptations to see, is he going to fail? You can go into Matthew where we are told that Jesus is tempted to fix his hunger by doing a miracle. Jesus is tempted to take on worldly power and wealth and status by bypassing the cross. But he did not fail. He did not waver. He did not stumble. He did not fall even once to show you and to show me that he is the only king, the only king who has the right and the power to defeat all of our enemies. Over 50 years ago now, uh, C.S. Lewis was uh, pondering this particular text, and he heard a, an objection raised by a scoffer, and the objection went like this. If Jesus never sinned, he can't really know what temptation, real temptation, is like. He can't sympathize. He can't empathize with me because he never tasted the full force of temptation. Here was C.S. Lewis's response, and I'll just put it up on the screen. Here was his response to the scoffer. He said, a silly idea is the current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. Paul Tripp has a wonderful illustration of this, and I'm going to try and do it some justice. Paul Tripp says to us that we should try and imagine a, a man at a carnival or a fair, one of those things sometimes you see on TV, the, a, a man that's got a, got a bar that bends a bar using his strength. He's got two bars. The man takes the first one, the bar is thin and weak, and as he, as he exerts power, he, he uses it to, to, to bend the, the, the thin bar towards sort of a 90-degree angle, but as he does that, the bar breaks. The second bar, though, is a lot thicker and stronger, and as he exerts all the power and he brings the bar to bear as to 90 degrees, if not more, and as those two ends of the bar touch, the bar doesn't break. Let me ask you, which bar exerted more pressure? The first or the second? The second. The second bar absorbed the full force of the man's strength and did not break. Jesus was like the second bar. 
Because he never gave in, because he never ran away, because he never went where temptation led, but stood strong until that moment of temptation was at its fullest, as it touched, but never broke. Christ endured stress, pain, suffering, sacrifice, and an intensity that we cannot imagine because he was bent but did not break. He stood against that temptation. He stood against that sin. He endured everything that the devil could throw at him. But he didn't break. This is the testing of the king. This is Jesus resisting every temptation that the devil threw at him to show you and I that he is the stronger man that comes to bind the strong man and plunder his house? Is it not true that the nature of humanity, we're always looking for a human savior? always looking for a human of some sort to rescue us. Rescue us in marriage. Rescue us in friendship. Rescue us in politics. Have you noticed that every single politician gets up every election and promises to be the next human savior? I mean, when are we going to wake up and say that every human, say, uh, every human ruler, every human politician, leader, every human king, every human pastor, every human prime minister, every human president is flawed, is sinful? We cannot even save ourselves. Never mind save anybody else. And yet we go around the four-year cycle with our politicians every single time, hoping, wishing the next one's going to bring salvation. Mm. But there is one, isn't there? There is one king. There is one PM. There is one president. There is one pastor. There is one high priest. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And that's why, that's why Hebrews 7.25 says this. He's able to completely save those who come to him. Do you understand that this morning? There is only Jesus that is able, completely able to save you from all your sins, all your enemies, from the devil, from death, from sin, from destruction, from hell, even from yourself. He's the only one, the only one. Two more. The coronation of glory. So as we look at the passage, there was a time when Jesus was coronated in water. He was coronated by the Spirit. He's coronated by the voice of the Father. He was, if you like, coronated in tempting suffering by the devil. It was a time... And the king 
wore not a crown of jewels on his head, but a crown of thorns on his head, and went to a cross and was raised in victory from the dead. But there was another coronation after that. Let me show it to you. After his resurrection from the dead, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You realize that the one that was crowned in suffering on earth is now crowned in glory. On the 6th of May, 2023, Charles, Prince Charles will be coronated as King of England and Australia. And it will be beamed all around the world and a few billion people will watch it. At a time we do not know, King Jesus will return in glory and he will be beamed live to every human being on the planet, whether they are alive or dead. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And he will be marveled at by those who are waiting for him. And do you remember these words of Mark in Mark 8.38? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Which leaves us just one more. So what? What does this mean for us? Would I be safe in saying that the coronation of old King Charles isn't going to mean a whole lot? Did it mean much for you? Mean much for us? It's going to take a few dollars out of taxpayers' money, that's for sure. Jesus was coronated by water, by the Spirit, by the Father, by the devil, by blood at the cross, the glory in heaven so that by faith in him, we can be coronated in glory with him. Do you get that? He was coronated in suffering and coronated in glory, so that we can be coronated in glory with him. Here's how he put it in John 17, 24. Father, he prayed, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. I guess the question I've got to ask you is this. Will you be in glory with Jesus? Because of Jesus. Will you be in glory 
with Jesus because of Jesus. But I want to give you one more application. You realize this morning, beloved, that's what you are. You are beloved of the Father. Why? Because Jesus was coronated in water by the Spirit, by the Father, by the devil, by blood at the cross, raised from the dead, coronated in glory, coming in glory again because of him. If you trust in him, you are the beloved of God. I want to ask you for just a moment, if you wouldn't just close your eyes with me. Just, just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to hear these words. By faith in Jesus, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. By faith in Jesus, you are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is, how difficult it is, how confusing it is, hear the words of your Father. You are my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. And I will crown you in glory with my beloved one day. With your eyes closed for just one more moment. Have you bowed in repentance and faith before this king? Right now, right in that chair, bow your heart. Just bow in adoration and praise. And let us never, ever, ever be ashamed of our King. What a King. What a Savior. What a Son. What a Conqueror. Is it any wonder that this king says to us in Mark 1.17, Come and follow me. But that's for next week. Amen.